when when Gerald asked for prayer requests, I should have mentioned Keith. Uh, Keith Beachy is back home again, and uh, Esther said in the email that he's he's um, certainly better than he was before the surgery. He's able to go to the stairs at the house and and still has some pain, but it's certainly better than it was earlier. And that visitors would be uh, meaningful to him, so I need to get over there as well as you. <laughs> um, Gerald read Psalm, Psalm 96, uh, 86, and David prayed, In the day of my trouble I will call upon thee, for thou wilt answer me. And I've chosen for a text this morning uh, John, some verses in John 12, uh, where Jesus prayed a very short pray, prayer, Father, glorify thy name, and God answered him. And he thundered from heaven, I have glorified it, it and I will glorify it again. So this is from John 12. Uh, our title, our title of the sermon is Father, Glorify Thy Name, and those come from Jesus' words. And he said that in verse 28. I wish I could read the uh, entire chapter. It's a long chapter. We have many things to do this morning, so I'll break in at verse 12, but... The setting is that Jesus had been at Bethany to visit Martha and Mary and Lazarus. He just raised Lazarus from the dead a few days earlier. Uh, yes, you heard me right. Jesus raised him from the dead. <laughs> uh, just imagine how you would have felt if you lived at that time and heard this report that a dead man had been raised. They made a supper for him at Bethany. It may have been at Simon the leper's house. And of course, Mary served, Martha served, and Mary would soon be at his feet. Lazarus sat at the table with Jesus, and at least some of the disciples were there with him as well. Jesus must have enjoyed this one last visit with uh, Lazarus and his sisters. Uh, a time of rest and enjoyable fellowship, a, a place of quiet and peace before the storm. And Mary did come to Jesus, where he was uh, seated, and he, she anointed his feet with a very costly perfume. Uh, Mark's gospel tells of a similar account, doesn't name the woman there, where uh, Jesus' head was anointed, so it may have been that Mary anointed both Jesus' head and feet. Very unusual, Mary knelt down and wiped Jesus' perfumed feet with her hair. This costly anointing showed Mary's devotion and her love and her surrender and gratefulness to this wonderful one who had raised up her brother. But I think this act of devotion also had to do with what Jesus was doing for Mary herself as her faith was growing and she had sat at Jesus' feet <clears throat> different times, I, I suppose, and listened to his, his wonderful words. 
Judas criticized her act as wasteful and extravagant, but Jesus said, leave her alone. She has anointed me with perfume for my burial. And I don't know if Mary knew about Jesus' impending death or not. Did she understand what Jesus was about to do in his sacrificial death? Was she greatly moved by the love of this one who would give his life for her and all the human race? Did Mary know Jesus' death was no waste and that her gift was not wasted? A large, curious crowd <laughs> gathered at Bethany. They wanted to see Jesus, and they also wanted to see this man that Jesus is raised from the dead. The Jewish leaders were much troubled. They didn't like the attention and the following that Jesus was getting. And they didn't want Jesus to take, take away the power they had over the people. And uh, so their hearts were consumed with malice and jealousy. And they were scheming about how to do away with Jesus and Lazarus. They decided they needed to get rid of both of them. And they were making plans to kill them. <laughs> And so now I'll read from verse 12 in John 12 and decide where to break off. I'm not sure. On the next day, much people that came to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, <clears throat> blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon as, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, thy king cometh and sitteth on an ass's coat. These things understood not his disciples at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered they, uh, that these things were written of him, that they had done these things unto him. The people, therefore, that were with him when he called Lazarus out of the grave and raised him from the dead bear record. For this cause the people also met him, for they had heard that he had done this miracle. The Pharisees, therefore, said among themselves, Perceive ye how ye, ye prevail nothing? Behold, the world is gone out after him. And there were certain Greeks among them that had came to the, up to worship at the feast, the same came therefore to Philip, which was of the city of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip cometh and telleth Andrew. And again, Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come. The Son of Man should be glorified. Verily I say unto you, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve him, Serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, 
But for this cause came unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And then, then, then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people thereof that stood by heard it said that it thundered. And others said, an angel spake to him. Jesus answered and said, the voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is judgment come to this world. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out. And if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This, this he said, signifying what death he would die. And the people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abides forever. And how sayest thou that the Son of Man be, must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? Then Jesus said unto them, Yet a little while is the light with you. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whither he goeth. While you have light, believe in the light, that you may be children of light. These things spake Jesus and departed and did hide himself. Leave all stuff there. So at this time, Jerusalem was crowded with pilgrims that had came from all over to celebrate the Passover. They were, to, they were there to remember and make their own Passover lamb sacrifice. But they were remembering the Passover lamb at the time of the Exodus. They didn't know they were about to witness the, the real Passover lamb sacrifice. They had heard about the raising of Lazarus and that Jesus was coming to town. You see, Jesus had set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem, knowing full well the agonies that he would experience there. So this enthusiastic crowd went out to meet him and they took the opportunity to proclaim him to be the Messiah and King. Surely the one who could feed the 5,000 and heal the sick and calm the storm and raise the dead must be the Messiah that would deliver them from the shackles of Rome. And they laid their coats out on the road for Jesus to ride over. That was their version of the red carpet. Jesus was riding on a donkey. He was the humble prince of peace. And they shouted from the praises from the Psalms and the prophets, praises for the Messiah and the King. Earlier when the, uh, there was a crowd that tried to make him king, Jesus slipped away. But here there was no turning back. He was the King. He was the Messiah. He was the suffering Savior. And this was the hour that he would really show the world uh, who he was. Though the crowd shouted praises, many didn't really recognize who he was. They didn't understand uh, how the Messiah would deliver them. A little later in the passage I read, Jesus said the Son of Man would be lifted up to, on the cross to die. And they must have understood this some must have understood what he was saying. They said, they replied, we have heard from the law that the Messiah will live forever. Who is this son of man that will die? They didn't really understand. Some didn't really, really want to see the light. 
Possibly some of these that shouted hosannas a few days later would shout crucify him. Many were deaf to the Old Testament prophet's message of a suffering and dying Savior, and they were blind to Christ's real mission. Some were willingly blind, and their hearts became harder and harder. Verse 40, Jesus said that God was hardening their hearts. I don't know how that works. Many actually did believe on Jesus and secretly wished to follow him, but, but they were afraid. Afraid of the Pharisees that they would put him, put them out of the synagogue. Jesus said they loved human praise more than the approval of God. But in that crowd were some sincere seekers, and they were identified as Greeks. Uh, likely they were devout Gentile proselytes who had outer court privileges in the Jewish temple. These Greeks came to Philip first. I read that Philip was a Jew, but he had a Greek name, and maybe that's why they came to Philip. I don't know. So they requested, Sir, we would like to see Jesus. And they were asking more than just a glimpse of Jesus. They were asking for an interview, I believe. And Philip was cautious, and he consulted with Andrew. Maybe they were remembering that Jesus said, I've, I've come to, the law, uh, for the, to save the lost sheep of Israel. And they weren't sure if Jesus... Maybe they weren't sure that, that Jesus would meet with Gentiles. The appearance of the Greeks caused a deep stirring in Jesus' thoughts and emotions. Um, their eagerness to meet with him and learn to know him reminded him of his purpose to not only provide salvation for the Jews, but to swing the door wide open for the Gentiles from all the all the heathen nations. And he said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. <clears throat> what, what was this hour? What is this hour? It was the time of God's great sacrifice when he would offer his beloved Son for the forgiveness of sins for the whole world. It was the hour that Jesus would suffer agony and death. And certainly up to this point, this must have been the most significant hour of all human history. In some ways, it was Satan's hour too. In Luke's gospel, Jesus said to the temple guards when they came to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, this is your hour, the hour when darkness reigns. Satan was doing his worst to defeat God's plan. And he put malice and jealousy and evil in the hearts of the Jewish leaders. There was another way that it was Satan's hour, and Jesus says it here in our text. He says, now is the judgment of the world. Now shall the prince of the world be cast out. Jesus' death and resurrection uh, were Satan's final defeat. Jesus says, this is my hour to be glorified. Glorified? How could something so horrible and hideous as crucifixion be glory? How could a face so disfigured that it didn't look even look like a man's face be a glory? 
How could an uncovered back that looked like a plowed field? How could a face contorted with, a face covered with sweat and spittle and contorted with pain be a glorious sight? It wasn't pretty, pretty. It was awful. But Jesus, Jesus' life and Jesus' love was glorious. Jesus being lifted up on the cross is the, is the extreme, supreme expression of love, the love of God for a sinful man. Jesus says in verse 32 here that when I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. The Tyndale Commentary says it this way, Jesus lifted up on the cross is the supreme expression of the invincible Invincible power of divine love that draws all people to himself. Jesus lifted up on the cross is the supreme expression of, invincible, of the invincible power of divine love that draws all people to himself. Surely this hour of glorification also included the resurrection when God raised up Jesus from the grave. He won the great, uh, with his great power, he won the great, he won the victory over Satan and sin and death, and he lives and reigns forever. Jesus said, I'm like the grain of wheat that falls into the ground and dies, but rises up to bear new life and much fruit. What a beautiful illustration. Uh, that is, I know on the way to church this morning, I noticed uh, the small grain that Glenn planted just not very long ago, and the weather's been perfect, and it's it's springing up every. I don't know. I don't know if every. I don't know if every seed sprouted, but the, the seed sprouted, and if it was left to go for a grain harvest, there would be many, many, many new seeds. Jesus, being God, had within him the power to give life. But he first needed to die, and he died on Calvary's cross and then rose from the grave uh, to bear the fruit of new life for countless millions of people. Jesus didn't love his human life so much that he wouldn't give it up. He loved his Father's will more than his own. He died to himself, and he sacrificed himself so that he could give life to many and give life to you and to me. He tells us how to receive eternal life in verses 25 and 6. It is by dying to our... We too need to die so that we can have life. Die to our old selfish nature and life and then rise up to follow him, obey him because we have faith in him. And his promise to us is that if we, that if we die to ourselves and place our faith in Jesus Christ and follow him and obey him, then we can be with him wherever he is for all eternity, eternal life. So we must also die like a grain of wheat. 
so we can raise us up to eternal life and bear the fruit of a Christ-like life. Now let's meditate on uh, the verses where we got it, we've got our title, verses 27 and 28. Remember the Greeks had just come to Jesus and this triggered the deep emotion for Jesus. Their coming reminded him of the great agony he must endure to open the door for the Gentiles. Jesus said, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Jesus troubled and not sure what to say. Jesus troubled and distressed. Uh, Jesus wasn't often this way, was he? At first, I, that's the way I thought, that Jesus surely wasn't often struggling this way. Then I thought some more and uh, remembered that at Lazarus' grave, Jesus groaned and he wept. He was troubled. And then we have this account here in John 12 that where he was deeply troubled. And then, well, I guess it would have been earlier, as he came into Jerusalem, he saw the city and thought about how most would reject him, and he wept. And then a little later in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, Jesus was greatly troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He was struggling. <laughs> and his disciples slept, slept and let, let, let him agonize alone. Hebrews 5, 7 during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Is that verse primarily talking about the Garden of Gethsemane experience? Or did Jesus often suffer some anguish and distress throughout his life that moved him to prayer? Or some of his all-night prayer times um, was he in distress I guess we don't really know how often he suffered this way he did here <clears throat> Jesus must have been experiencing conflicting emotion joy because the, Jew, the, the Greeks had come and they, they were sincerely seeking him but he was also he distressed with the thoughts about what it would take to save them. What was he feeling? Dread, fear, uh, temptation to bypass the cross, dread of the agonizing physical suffering, dread of the horror of death, dread of being the sin bearer, dread, dread of being forsaken by his disciples and forsaken by the uh, deserted by his disciples and forsaken by his father. Maybe all these things and more, and none of these things we fully understand. Jesus asks, what shall I say? What shall I pray? Shall I pray, Father, save me from this hour? No. I came to this hour for this very purpose, to suffer and die, to provide salvation for the whole world. And then Jesus prays, Father, glorify thy name. Jesus cried out, Father, what security 
he found in his relationship with his Abba father. What reassurance that his father was with him and that he was fulfilling the plan that he and his father had made before the foundation of the world. That the suffering and, and distress was part of the plan. Father, glorify thy name. We hear submission in this prayer. It is equivalent of not my will, but thine be done, that he later prayed in the garden. I'm willing to suffer because it's part of the plan. I'm willing to suffer because it brings glory to my Father for his great sacrificial love. Father, glorify thy name. This is a prayer of, it is a prayer of security and submission. We also see purpose in this prayer. Jesus' purpose was to glorify his Father. He had often said that. And everything that was happening to him was significant because he was to glorify his Father in all of his life situations. And he was bringing glory to the Father by his wonderful testimony. Our Savior's courage and his fortitude and his perseverance and his submission and his love for enemies and his love for his disciples and his love for his mother and love for the thief and forgiveness and compassion for all these that were doing evil to him because, and didn't know what they were doing, all these things and more brought glory to his Father. We worship our, a suffering Savior this morning. He went through great troubles and was greatly distressed. And we know that he went through it all because of his love for the Father. We know that he went through it all because of his love for you and me and all, all our fellow human beings. Now we go through troubles too. Trials and temptations and disappointments that cause us overwhelming distress. There are many things about our life here on this sin-cursed earth that are distressing. A grim doctor's report, chronic health problems, physical weakness, death, accident, a wayward child, rejection, losses, hopes and dreams dashed, feeling all alone and abandoned, and sometimes raw evil may befall us and temptations hound us. And maybe we come to the place where we don't know what to do and we don't know what to say or what to pray. But Jesus' Jesus' prayer here is always the right prayer. Father, glorify thy name. I don't understand all this, but I know I can trust you. Our Father cares for us. Our Father is control of all things. Satan does have some power in this world. Power that our Father has chosen to give him when he he took on this world and filled it with sin. I 
I said chosen. I don't know if that's the right word or not. He allowed it, at least. But Satan can only do so much. Evil does touch us in very real ways. But Satan can only do no much, so much. Our Father's control is in control. And it's, um, he's, he, he's in control of everything. And somehow it's according to his plan. And in the end, all will be well. In our distress, we can cry out, Father. And we can continue our prayer saying, Father, glorify thy name. We would be saying, Father, I submit to your will and plan for my life. Not my will, but thine be done. It may not be according to my hopes and dreams, but I'm going to trust you. Give me the grace the strength I need to continue on. Give me the grace to express some joy through my tears. I had a young person or two say this to me, something like this. He said, I know that God doesn't give a stone for bread, but when I ask for bread, he gives me a carrot. And when I ask for steak and potatoes, he gives me salad. Sometimes if we're really discouraged and struggling in faith, we may say he gives me something rotten. But we can pray this prayer. Father, glorify thy name. I submit your will to mine. Give me grace to carry on. When we pray, Father, glorify thy name in faith, it gives life's unfolding events significance. Jesus knew it was his purpose to suffer and die. He knew what the future held. We cannot see the future so clearly. But if we desire to glorify God in everything, then everything in life takes on significance. Nothing just happens. All of life has purpose. If our desire is to glorify God in everything, he will answer our prayer. Remember the Hebrews 5, 7 verse, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. I believe God always hears this prayer and will always answer this prayer. Which sometimes he thundered from heaven <laughs> like he did for Jesus. God will always hear this prayer, Father, glorify thy name. Help me to live in this situation. Give me grace to respond well in a Christ-like way. Glorify your name. God, help us to grow in faith. To pray, Father, I trust you. Father, I submit my will to you. And your ways, I trust your ways in my life. Father, I believe everything that has happened to me has purpose and significance so help me to respond well and, and share some compassion and some joy with those around me so that your name will be glorified. When Jesus prayed this prayer, his father thundered back from heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. Some people thought it was only thunder. Others thought an angel had spoken. The people misunderstood and pe people misunderstand God's ways and what he says today too. 
they must understand what he does and what glory is all about and how God can bring glory out of difficulty. It's like Jesus was saying, Jesus said, God didn't speak this for my benefit. He spoke it for yours. And it's like Jesus was saying, um, God wants to assure you that he is still on the throne. Now is the time of judgment on the earth. Now is the prince of the world driven out. When I'm lifted up on the cross, I will draw all men to myself. And so God, it's like God is thundering to us. I am well pleased with my son. He is suffering. His suffering and death brings me much glory. I raised him from the dead to show that I'm pleased with his sacrifice. It has accomplished forgiveness of sins and complete victory. I am still in control. I will make all things well and right. The devil will be cast out and evil will be banished. Jesus has won the great victory by his death and resurrection. And the invincible power of love displayed on Calvary's cross will win over Satan and evil. We worship a suffering, we worship our suffering Savior this morning, who experienced overwhelming sorrow, pain, and distress. He prayed, Father, glorify thy name, a cry that expresses security in his Father, a prayer that said, not my will, but thine be done. And he carried out his purpose. He, he was praying for, for help to carry out his purpose accomplishing great victory in his hour. We too suffer pain and anguish because we're in a sin-cursed world. And our Savior has gone before us. He has suffered with us. And our faithful high priest walks with us. He didn't stay in the bliss and glory of heaven. He came down into a world of suffering. And our Heavenly Father suffered too. As, as he provided his only beloved son as a sacrifice for our sin. Let's follow our Lord's example and constantly pray, Father, glorify thy name.